Hey everybody, we're in a teaching series on relationships called It's Not You, It's Me. And our prayer is that wherever you are as you listen to this, that God would use this teaching as a tool to grow you and strengthen you in your relationships. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Thanks for commenting. Hey, share this message with some friends. It makes a big difference. At Soma, we want everybody to know God so they can find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We hope this collection of talks draws you to Jesus and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Remember when you were trying to break up with somebody back in the day? And, uh, and you were real passive about it, and you were like, it's not you, it's me. Except it was them, you know, you really, you're, it's, and it was a combination. But the whole, the whole heart behind this series is that we would spend some time focusing on what, what I feel like is really the highest felt need. If I'm being real honest with you, I don't like relationship series. And um, can I be real for a minute? I just don't, I don't like them. But I know we all need them, including myself. Part of the reason why I don't like them is so, they're so convicting. And so, um, and it just, we want to get better at um, peopling. We want to get better at, man, romantic relationships and parents with kids and friends and siblings. And just, we want to get better at loving one another because this is a big, a big part of following Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the New Testament imperative to love one another and serve one another. And, and uh, this is what Christ has called us to do. And so we need to grow in our relationships. And with a relationship series, there's always like, it's always a little unsettling for people, you know, like, oh man, he's going to call me out and Holy Spirit's going to convict me. Can we go back to the prayer series? You know what I mean? Or if you're single, you're like, he's going to tell me to wait. He's going to tell me to wait on the Lord and wait on the one and get off the dating app or whatever, you know, but here's what I promise. I'm just going to, I'm just going to preach the Bible. I'm just going to give you the Bible. And then, um, if you don't like it, you can just take it up with Jesus. And then, um, that's what I'm going to do. So, and, and, and so the whole premise of this series too, this whole idea of it's not you, it's me comes from Matthew seven, Brooke and I into 2020, beginning of 21, we were in, um, we were in biblical counseling, marriage counseling. And it was, it was the hardest thing we've ever done. Cause no one had ever really sat down with us and walked with us through like, really anything. Nobody had ever really sat with us and talked us through marriage or relationships aside for a little bit of premarital counseling on the front. And we never really had anybody kind of get in our business. And it was like, oh, it was really hard and also really beautiful. And one of the things that we learned was how primarily what we were focused on in our relationship was the faults of one another rather than really ourselves. And Jesus says this in Matthew 7. It's so powerful. He says, um, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye or your sister's eye or your wife's eye, your husband's eye, your kid's eye, your parent's eye, your roommate's eye? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in their eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You got a giant plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so Jesus says, hey, when we're navigating relationships and uh, we have the potential for conflict and hard conversations and brokenness and really tough things when we're struggling, when we're having a hard time. So often we're looking at somebody else's issues, somebody else's sin, somebody else's problems, and we have our own. We have our own. And so this series... Um, is not so much being, you know, acutely aware of other people's faults, but it's about 
It's about taking some real inventory. God, if you would search me and know me. Help me, help me to have no offensive way in me, God. Help me to align with what you want for my life. And again, I'm not focused on the person next to me, what they said, what they did, what they're not doing, whatever. I'm focused on, I'm taking inventory of myself. And so your marriage, your relationships, every area of your life, the whole idea is, man, let me remove the plank before I'm positioned and situated, before I'm able really to help you with the speck of sawdust in your own eye. And so this, over the course of this series, we're going to hit today, we'll hit communication. Next week, we'll talk about sex. This is a disclaimer for all the parents in the room that don't want to have to talk before we have to talk. So, so sex and then money, trauma, drama, daddy and mama, priorities, all the things that we bring into relationships, dead serious. This series is about acknowledging that Jesus has, has asked us to take inventory He's asked us to take inventory of our own hearts, our own stuff, and our own growth in relationships. So it's, it's not you, it's me. And this series is, is for you, and God's word is for you. If you feel, another thing, just a word, if you feel some type of conviction while we're in this series, God is not mad at you, he is not condemning you, he is helping you. It is God's mercy that you would feel things that need to adjust, that need to be brought into alignment with. And it's, it's primarily so you can experience freedom, not so that you could feel judged or condemned or any of that. He doesn't want you to live in a place of shame either. So he just wants you to get freed up from what you need to get freed up from and, um, and be positioned to better serve one another. So today our topic is communication. And so I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you. Uh, and, and we all have room for improvement in the area of communication. Proverbs 18, 20 through 22, it says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they're satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. It's interesting to me that those go together, talking about communication, the power of life and death in the tongue, and then it goes really quickly to marriage. And so um, I think it's so interesting that uh, the writer of this proverb would say, hey, uh, how, when you speak, it's like a seed-bearing fruit, which is to say every time you and I talk, we're planting seeds. Every time you and I say something, we're either giving life or we're taking life. There's no neutral. You're either adding value to people or you're removing value uh, from people. And, and you're really changing the atmosphere. You're changing the environment, changing the culture of wherever it is that you are by the way that you communicate to one another. That's how powerful your words are. This is how important communication is. And I would say fundamentally, majority of the issues that you have in your relationships are communication issues. And I know that because we've We've done premarital counseling, and we've done postmarital counseling, and we've, done, we've just spent time with people, and we are people. And we know that a lot of the issues that we have in our own marriage or with our kids or with friends or whatever are primarily um, things that are lost in translation, unmet expectations, things attached to communication. It's so important. Jesus says this in Matthew 12. He says, make a, a tree good, and its fruit will be good. In other words, hey, the fruit, the same idea is this whole idea of seed-bearing fruit. Hey, if you want good words, if you want good communication, you got to get to the root. If you, if you, you got to make the tree good if you want the fruit to be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, talking to the religious leaders of his day. How can you, who are evil, say anything good? 
He's like, you can have, you know, a, you know, a religious expression. You can say things, but it's just, it doesn't matter because your heart is wicked. For the, for, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account of the day of judgment for every empty word that they've ever spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted. For those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus, surrendered their life to Christ, you have verbalized this. For by your words you have acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And so, in other words, uh, Jesus says, hey, out of the overflow of your heart, you begin to communicate. You ever had that moment where a lot of times it's when you're really angry, real frustrated, real emotional, and uh, you say the thing that you can't get back? You know what I'm talking about? And, and then, you know, a loved one remembers that thing and they remind you of that thing 13 years later. Remember when you said, you know, but it's that moment where you say it. You have a filter. You and I have a filter, but it makes it past your filter. It's like, how did I make it past my filter? And you say it and, and you wish you could reel it back in. And it's because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes it's not even what you say. It's how you say it. It's tone. It's when you say it. It's all these things that contribute to the world around you. And so we've got to change our perspective. If we want to grow in our communication, we have to change our minds and our thought life. And if we want to change our minds and our thought life, we've got to ask God to transform us from the inside out. Jesus says, make a good, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. He says this, uh, Paul says this in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world and some of us, when it comes to the way that we communicate to one another, you have tra- you, you're conformed to the pattern of this world. You talk like everybody else talks. You communicate in the same way that everybody else communicates. You want different results, but you communicate the same. And so um, a great example is the, the amount of passivity that we experience by way, like you can hide behind a text. You could say bullish things behind a text or on social media, or you can put people on blast in, in ways that you're not going to if you have to stand face-to-face with them. Broader culture that we live in, man, it's just a lot of critique, a lot of criticism, a lot of complaining, a lot of just negative talk, and, and it has consequences. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think different. You need a new filter. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a new filter. You need a new filter. This is the filter. This is the filter. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If God changes my heart, I'm able to discern, maybe I shouldn't say this right now. Maybe I shouldn't say this in this way. Maybe this is not as encouraging as I would like for it to be. What are my motivations in my heart behind what I'm communicating right now? Because, man, if it's not love, what's it for? Why am I doing it? And so, God can work and transform us from the inside out, but we got to change the way that we think about one another and the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about God, and we begin to communicate differently. And so um, there's really four ways that we communicate, four kind of levels that I want to hit. And the first one uh, that we, the first way we communicate is surface communication. So these are superficial hellos. Hey, how's it going? You and yours, all that kind of stuff. And that's a lot of that. It happens even on a Sunday as you engage people. Hey, you know, like, and, but there's, that's, that's kind of the, you run into somebody at the store, whatever. This is surface communication. Nothing wrong with it. It just is what it is. The next level is general information. This is where a lot of us in our relationships where we live, 
especially for those of us who are busy, those of us who are stewarding a lot. You got a family, you got kids at home. Hey, little Johnny's got a math exam tomorrow. That's yours. I ain't about that new math. You got this, right? Or, or hey, you know, somebody's got to be picked up from ball practice, or we have this thing on Saturday, or, hey, let's look at the calendar, or, hey, whatever the information is, just general information. What are we doing for dinner? Information. And, again, nothing wrong with it, but just a lot of us kind of live in that space, and it lacks intimacy and it lacks depth, and we desire more because the next level, the next level is deep feelings where we begin to express our feelings to one another. And I think women are better at this than men are. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen from any ladies in the room? Yes, women are better at this than men are at expressing how they feel. And uh, so much so that, like Brooke, you know, something will happen. And I'll tell Brooke what happened, and she's like, "How'd that make you feel?" And I'm like, "Am I supposed to feel something? I don't really know." Like. <laughs> I mean, that says something about me, but it's just like for the majority of us, a lot of us, we will um, we'll suppress certain feelings or uh, we don't really desire the vulnerability attached to this because it feels vulnerable. And so, um, but it's also a place of breakthrough. It's a place of intimacy when you begin to just communicate to the people in your life that you love. Here's how that makes me feel. And... Uh, and just because you feel a thing doesn't make it true, but also it does mean that you feel something. So communicating to someone, hey, even if it's, you know, even if it's um, all the facts don't check out, the fact that you feel something is, is real, that you feel something. So beginning to communicate to the people in your life, man, uh, I'm feeling this. And then it builds intimacy as we express that. Here's the next one, deep needs. So we're moving from feelings to needs. And understanding our spouse's deepest needs or understanding the people in our lives that we love, their deepest needs, um, you really need to understand, too, that it's just different for everybody. It's different by, by way of gender. So if you're married, right, your, your spouse, a lot of times, like for Brooke and I, we're so different. We go through premarital counseling. Everybody that we spend time with talking about their deepest needs in premarital counseling, what are the deepest needs that you have as you step into covenant relationship with one another? What are the deepest needs that you have? They're never the same. They are never the same. Men's and women's are never the same. And then it's different by person. We have five kids at home, all coming from the same gene pool, same environment, same nurture and nature, and they're all so different. Their needs are different. And so beginning to communicate what your needs are in a relationship, a lot of our issues in relationships are really just unmet expectations as it relates to our deepest feelings and our deepest needs. And you're frustrated, but also you didn't tell anybody. So it's like just begin to communicate what you feel, why you feel it, and what your needs are, and communicate clearly with one another. Because a lot of times, I'll do things that I don't even realize are hurting the people around me. I don't know if this is you. Sometimes you find yourself in a position, you say stuff, do stuff, and, and people feel a thing. They don't express those feelings until you really take the time to sit down and have a conversation like, hey, what's going on? What's off? You made me feel this way. You said this. And it's like, man, that was not my heart or motivation at all. Thank you for telling me that I'm that I did that. That's not what I want. So, so those are the four levels of communication. And I'm telling you that because the last two, the deep feelings and the deep needs are an area that we got to grow in. And there's some things that hold us back from those things. So here's some things, here's some barriers to communication. The first one is withdrawal. So you either flight or fight. You kind of run from stuff and you're like, I don't want to talk about it. I want to avoid it. I just want to get in my bed and take a nap. Like, I don't want to deal with it. How many, how many flight people we got in the room? We got any flight people in the room? Like, whatever, I ain't dealing with it. How many fight people we got in the room? Like, let's go. 
And so um, it's either flight or fight. And so withdrawal, you know, we're going to pretend like the other person just is not even in the room. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a passive approach, but it's just so funny when we do this. We do it not just in marriage. We do it with coworkers. We do it with all kinds of people. I'm just going to avoid you, except you're in the room with me. Like, and, you know, and I'm, and I, you know, people will address you and you just kind of pretend that they're not there. And uh, it reminded me of this story with this husband and wife, and they were in this space where they were withdrawing from the conversation. Neither one of them wanted to be the first one to reconcile or ask for forgiveness or, or heal, heal the wounds. Because, you know, you're in competition. It's like, I don't want to lose. Like, I want them to say sorry first or whatever. It's so stupid. But anyway, that's what we do. And so this couple, that's where they're at, headspace. And the husband's like, he's got a flight. He's got a business trip that he's got to go on the next day. Wife is always the one to get him up. How am I going to communicate? So he writes on a little slip of paper, hey, I got a flight. I got to get up at 5 a.m. I need you to wake me up. And then puts it next to her toothbrush uh, on the, the counter in the bathroom. And he's thinking, oh, you know, she's going to get me up. And then I haven't said anything, so, you know, I'm, I'm still good. And so he wakes up the next day, 9 a.m., and uh, he's frustrated. He's like, what's going on? He looks at the nightstand, a little slip of paper. It says, wake up. It's 5 a.m. You're going to miss your flight. <laughs> and, and it's so funny, but this is withdrawal. This is passivity. And so that's one, that's one area. That's one barrier to communication. Another one is when we escalate escalation is, a, is an area where you're angry. You're a f- lot of emotion right here. So we're not withdrawing. We got coming out. This is, the, this is the fight club. Okay. Escalation is the fight club. People who are ready to go toe to toe, blow to blow. Let's do this thing. And, and we're going to have it out. You're not your best here. Okay. Let me just go ahead and say as one who's lived here, you're not your best here. And a lot of the things that you say in this space are the things that they remember 10 years from now that, you know, and so a little bit of life hack for those of us who have a tendency to bend towards escalation. Write down what you need to communicate. If, you, if, you're, if you're in a relationship, and again, it depends on personality and just how you engage one another. If you're in a relationship where you have a tendency to kind of, you know, to go at each other, write down the things that you're trying to communicate. And, and it'll give you a great filter. Hey, if I could communicate what I'm trying to communicate in love to this person that I love, and I want to remove the vitriol, and I want to remove the anger, and I want to remove some of the words that I would have said. It would just come out if, if I would have just said them. But now I'm going to take some time and edit myself and then present that. Brooke and I have had entire conversations in seasons where it just felt like there was a thing that we were, we were in conflict over, and we wanted to be really careful, really guarded in what we, specifically me, in what we say. Then we would just write down the conversation. Literally, I would write down something. She would write down a reply. We would read it to each other. There's like zero room for like goofing if you do it this way. So like escalation is one of the ways that we struggle. And um, they did this study just on heart rate and how heart rate, uh, specifically for men, but for both, it, it affects your ability to like think. So your heart rate goes up to a certain place and you're so angry. Like you literally cannot think straight. So write down the thing. And it gives you time to pray through. It gives you time to really craft a statement in language that feels loving. Here's a third one is belittling. So this is a barrier to communication where we just begin to call each other names. And it's a dangerous place when you're trying to cut the other person with your words. 
And if you're someone who's good with language, if you're someone who's good at communicating, if you're someone who has that gift, your strengths are your weaknesses. And so just as quickly as you can like lift the room with your words, you can cut somebody like in, you know, a sentence and you can take them out. And so really gauging, okay, how am I doing in this area? But we struggle with belittling one another. I think about sometimes like in marriage, uh, we bring up each other's ancestry. You know what I'm talking about? Like you bring up extended family, start calling each other. We're like, you're your mama. Well, you're your grand, you know, and you like put names on it, you know, and you're talking about the, the predispositions that we have, um, the, the less redeeming aspects of some of our extended family, you know what I'm talking about, where we begin to call names, but it just never ends well. And then again, they're only going to bring that up seven years from now. Hey, remember when you said, and so just filter, you need a new filter. Belittling is one of the things that we do. Here's another one false belief, and this was the, the, da- the most dangerous, where we begin to just speak lies over the people that we love. And instead of, instead of reminding ourselves who God says they are, what God's word has to say about them, what God's promises are for their life, what God's calling is on them, now all of a sudden the things that they've done is who they are. Yeah, you did this, but now this, you are this. Or we say things like always or never or you fill in the blank. But we begin, this is false belief, is where you and I begin to buy the lies of the enemy about our spouse or our children or our friend or our coworker, whatever, instead of saying, nope, this is who God says you are. This is who you are in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. I need to not forget myself. John 8 tells us that the devil is a liar and the father of all lies, and we buy the lie. And then again, Matthew 12, Jesus, he tells us this in verse 37. He says, for by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. You and I are the sum total of the words that have been spoken over us. The things that your parents said about you, the things that your coach said about you, the things that your teachers said about you, the things that your siblings said about you, your friends, somebody, if you could think back to the moment Really, right now, think back to the moment in your life where someone said something that was so life-giving. Think back to the moment where something, somebody said something about you and it just kind of cut you. Remember when that teacher said it or that coach said it? or A lot of times it's somebody in a position of authority to be a pastor, anybody. But they spoke death over a situation. And it matters so much that we become a people who speak life over others. This is the God that we serve. All the way back in Genesis Genesis 1, God speaks, and then everything comes into existence. And so with his words, he created the world. And with your words, you help to craft, shape the environment. Really, your world around you is a product of how you communicate to people. So the more life-giving you are of the way that you communicate, oh, your world is going to look so much, it's going to look so different than if you consistently uh, speak death over people. And, And so... A lot of times the issue isn't what we're saying, it's that we think we're saying things and we're not saying them. I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you thought you communicated something and then in a group setting, your spouse or somebody around you is like, oh, I didn't know that. And you're like, I told you. And they're like, no, you didn't. You just thought it. This is what George uh, Bernard Shaw says. He says the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. And it's a problem in your marriage and it's a problem in the workplace. And it's, so we just really need to, we need to bring clarity. Again, back to unmet expectations. What are we trying to communicate? Let's be real clear, real kind as we do it. And I think there's, there's, there's probably more than this, but there's seven things that I see biblically, ways that we can communicate to one another that's going to lift the room, going to bring life. The first one is if we begin to praise, 
the people around us. And I'm not talking about praise in the sense that we're praising God, worshiping God, but praise in the sense that you're going to celebrate what, ne- what is praiseworthy in the people around you, is what the Bible says. If there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things, celebrate these things. And I would say don't just praise people, but I would say praise people publicly. So it just hits different if you celebrate people. Like if you're going to praise someone and, and their spouse is in the room or their kids are in the room or people that they really care about are nearby and you begin to affirm and celebrate the things that are worth affirming in their life, oh, it makes such a big difference that we praise people. I was thinking about when I, when I was in kindergarten. This hit me this morning. Um, Rhonda Hill, my kindergarten teacher, I was drawing a picture of a rooster. And shout out to Rhonda Hill, by the way, uh, kindergarten. She was so good at it. Anyway, so I'm, I'm like, I'm drawing a rooster. I don't even, I, I just remember drawing a rooster. And she brought me out of class, took me to the first grade teacher, and was like, can you believe he drew that rooster? And I was like, yeah, I did. Like, I was, and how, hey, who do you think drew a lot of roosters after that? Oh, hey, matter of fact, I kept drawing all the way up until college. I thought I was going to, archi- I thought I was going to school for architecture because Rhonda Hill said, look at that rooster. Like, that's how powerful people's words are. I felt so affirmed in that moment. I just kept drawing and kept drawing. And so praise is a big deal because, again, life in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, man, when, you, when your timing is there and, and your motivation in your heart for what you're communicating, when, when praise is on point, man, it is beautiful and it is valuable. Gold apples in a setting of silver, like it's, that, that's what praise is. And so here's the next one, gratitude. Watch what happens when you express gratitude to the people in your life. You've heard me say this. I'm going to keep saying it. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This was our theme verse for our last series. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Pray first. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will? That I would express gratitude. And, and, and begin to say thank you to the people in my life and express gratitude, both to God and for people in my life, for what they've done. There's so many things to be grateful for. And what happens is your heart, your mindset, your focus shifts. Like what your, your evaluation of people shifts whenever you express thanks to them. Again, for the things that you need to express thanks to them for. It's just like praise. Not everything is praiseworthy in people's lives, but what is praiseworthy? Focus on those things. And a lot of times we're focused on people's faults or we're focused on where people are are not doing the right thing or we're focused instead of, hey, let me just focus on what's praiseworthy and then affirm what needs to be praiseworthy. In the same way, gratitude, let me express gratitude and give thanks for what I should give thanks for. And then God begins to transform you from the inside out. Uh, And so you become that good tree that bears good fruit as you do it. So the next one is affection. And some of us struggle to express affection, terms of endearment. Tell somebody you love them. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And he doesn't just say it. He comes. Jesus puts on flesh and lays his life down for you and for me. Son of man comes not to be served, but to serve and lay his life down as a ransom for many. That is love expressed. 
And God verbally affirms you as well. Read his word. He just tells you he loves you. And, and it's really important that we as parents and loved ones and friends that we begin to express affection to the people that we love. I remember years ago, like I told this guy, I had a friend of mine, and I told him, uh, it was a buddy that was doing ministry and stuff with me, and I was like, hey, man, love you. And he was like, thank you. I was like, all right, well, that's kind of weird response. But, you know, and every time, every time, hey, love you. Hey, thank you. You know, and so it, it, it was, but it was clear to me, like, there's, there's a wall there. And a lot of times there's people in this room right now who maybe you never got told that as you're, when you're growing up. And I know for many of us that feels foreign, but there are people that, I mean, will make it to adulthood and, you know, it didn't have a mom or a dad or, you know, like, again, I, we talked about this series, Drama, Trauma, Daddy and Mama. That's because for some of us, that's stuff that we bring into the relationship. And it's like if you've never had someone say, like a grown man, say, hey, I love you, before you give you a hug, it's just like weird to be in that space. But we've got to learn to begin to express affection to one another. It's a key ingredient. This affection is agape love. This isn't a selfish love. This isn't a love attached to your wants or desires or needs. This is a love that is outside of that. It's an unconditional. This is agape love. This is God's type of love for people. That's the type of affection that I'm talking about. Some of y'all who are single, you're going to go and go up to your crush and just be like, I love you. My pastor told me to express affection. That's not what we're talking about. So we're, we're talking about like, hey, what are, who are the people in your life that you know you just need to affirm and ex express affection to them that they need? It's for them. Uh, here's another one is encouragement. Ephesians 4.29. This is probably one of my favorite filters when it comes to communication. Do not let any. Oh, that's a high bar. Why would you put that in there? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not yours, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so, man, again, you're either building people up or you're tearing them down. You're either adding value or you're removing it. There is no neutral. And the filter is, does this encourage? What is my motivation for saying what I'm saying right now? Is it to edify is it to serve them? Is it to help them? Is it encouraging? And, and if the answer is no, he's like, all right, well, maybe, maybe don't say it. And here's the next one, kindness. So kindness is really just about creating an environment that feels safe. It's, it's not only, you know, what you say, but even more importantly, how you say it a lot of times that expresses your kindness for others. Kindness is love in action. Kindness, again, is, in creating, is creating an environment that just feels safe. You, know, you and I know the people in our lives that just are the kindest people, and you can go and communicate to them, and it's not overly emotional, and it's not erratic, and it's just, again, it feels like a safe place for you to go and communicate. And so um, you and I, we might have all kinds of emotions and all kinds of feelings towards someone, but unless you act on the kindness that you feel, you're not being kind. And kindness is something that you, uh, you do towards someone. Again, it is an action. It's like choosing joy. So you can choose joy. You can also put on kindness. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And a lot of times it's our tone. So it's not even what we say, it's how we say it. One of the best leadership lessons I ever, <laughs> I ever learned was from a mentor who told me, he was like, hey, it's not so much what you're saying, Michael, it's when you say it and how you say it. And everyone is really aware that how you say things 
you know, you, you just have the wrong tone. And so everything you're saying is falling on deaf ears. But you can say the same thing, thing really three different ways, and it means something different. Um, I'll give you an example. Here's, here's a phrase. I'm going to say it three different ways. Um, okay. I understand. Yeah, I'll do that. There's one. Okay. I understand. I'll do it. Okay, I understand. I'll do it like those three different things. As happy, there's frustrated, there's anger, all expressed in the tone of my voice. Phrasing is exactly the same. And so tone matters. And the, some of us, we, we're frustrated because it feels like what we're communicating, like what I said is good. It's like, yeah, but your tone, as you said it, said I hate you and I want to punch you. You know, like so, in, it, so tone has to align. Kindness it's a big part of kindness. Here's the next one. Truth and love. Oh, I love this one. Truth and love. So if you're going to praise publicly, we got to learn how to correct privately. So if it feels like a sidebar conversation or like, hey, this is something that feels off. It feels something I need to connect and, and, and communicate directly to you. It doesn't need to be anything that I'm dragging um, other people into right away or, or speaking in a group setting but I got to begin to speak truth and love. And so the question is, how do you tell someone uh, that, you know, there's something that's going on in their life that is not in alignment with, with who God's called them to be. And maybe it's an area of tension in, in your relationship with them, or there's an offense or something was said or done to you, or just something that you feel like, man, no one is serving them because no one's willing to have a hard conversation with them about what they're struggling in. And again, your desire and your heart needs to be checked in this. What is my motivation for what I'm saying? And if it's not love, don't say it. That's what truth and love means. I'm going to express truth and love is my motivation for doing it. And if love is not my motivation, don't say it. But love will compel you to tell people the truth. And that is lost on the culture that we live in. Because people, everybody thinks truth is subjective, which is ridiculous. But it's like, if I don't, if, you know, if, if you have something hard to communicate to me, I don't necessarily want to hear what you have to say. We got to get to the place that we're willing to invite people in, people that we love, people that we trust, people that love God and love us, to communicate hard things to us. And this is what Jesus modeled. Uh, Ephesians 4.15, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. We will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ. The whole goal is that you would grow in Christ's likeness. The whole goal is that you would experience more of Jesus. The whole goal is that you would become more like him. And the only way to do it is together. This is the reason why groups is such a big part of our vision. The reason why biblical community is such a big part of our vision. If you lack people who love God and who love you, who are, who are pursuing the same things that you're pursuing, and you're not doing life and faith together, you won't make it. You, you'll miss the mark every single time. The only way that I've experienced the amount of spiritual breakthrough, spiritual formation in my life has always been attached to people. Always. You will not get there on your own. You need someone to communicate truth in love. All the hard conversations in my life uh, have been from loved ones who I knew loved me, people who I knew loved me, who loved God, who wanted more for me, and communicated hard things. It feels like a scary thing. It feels like a scary space to be because sometimes we can feel backed into a corner. We feel judged or condemned. God's heart is not that. God's heart is that you would be freed from whatever it is that you're just bound to. And he's going to use other people to free you. This is uh, John 1, 14. 
It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And this, if you keep going on in verse 14, it says that Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. Both. And he holds that tension of grace and truth. He's the fullness of both. He's not half and half. He's the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. Whoever will so, uh, whoever wants to come to this party can come to my table. Jesus' table looks so diverse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So grace, but also truth. Narrow is the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's narrow. Jesus. And so it's very inclusive, very exclusive at the same time. And that tension of truth and love is, man, I love you and I'm for you, but let me just tell you where I know that I just see misalignment. And let me, let me help you. You're not going to be offended if you invite people into that. You will be offended every single time if you don't invite people into that. So invite people into that. If you don't have anybody in your life that you haven't invited to speak into your life and call you out on your junk, you are missing it. I'm not saying it needs to be everybody. Ooh, it don't need to be everybody. But you need to pick, okay, who loves God? Who loves me? Who has an angle? I got blind spots. You do too. And I need people to call me on my stuff. And I got to invite them in. I'm less offended if I say, hey, will you tell me what needs work? Tell me what I can work on. Tell me what I, how I need to communicate better. How do I need to serve better? How do I need to love better? What's missing the mark? Help me. And you're not going to be offended because you invited them. But if you never invite anybody, you're always going to live in a place of offense. And that's many of us. It's like, who are you? Why are you, you know, and, and so invite some people in and then watch what happens in your life. Truth without grace is not really truth, and grace without truth is not really grace. Jesus holds the fullness of both. He holds both, and he engages us. He sees you where you are. He knows where you are. He knows all the areas of your life that are just, he has more for you in those areas. And he doesn't dismiss the areas that need his attention and need your surrender. And he invites you into a more deeper relationship with him, one that he paid for, by the way. And so truth and love. And then here's the last one, prayer. So if we're ever going to get good at communicating to one another, if we're ever going to learn to express affection the way that God's called us to, if we're ever going to learn to encourage the way that God has called us to, if we're ever going to learn to have truth and love the way that God has called us to, man, we got to learn. We got to learn to connect vertically. We got to learn to pray and fundamentally what it does is it reminds us of who God is in relationship to who we are. And, oh, you're, so, you're, you're positioned to better serve the people around you when you're reminded of who God is and he reminds you of who you are. There's a dependency there. The reason why 21 days of prayer and fasting hit so hard for so many is because they built disciplines and rhythms and a dependency that wasn't there prior to that moment. They prayed. God spoke back. They're like, whoa, this thing works, you know? And so, but it's a daily discipline. It's not like let's hit it every quarter. It's like, no, every day you need him. You need Jesus tomorrow. You're going to need him the next day. And out of the overflow of that is how you're called to love and serve people. You're a better communicator if you live out of the overflow of what God's done in your life through prayer. And, and many of us, we try and go on mission. We're going on mission, right? We're going, you know, and, and so we're going into the locker room and we're going into the school and we're going into the workplace and we're going on mission for Jesus, but not out of the overflow of what he's doing on the inside of us. And man, our fruit doesn't look that great. You know what I mean? It's not that appetizing to the rest of the world. And so, um, 
you know, you even go to places that honestly, for many of us, you'll go places that will cause you to stumble. You'll go places and you'll put yourself in environments and situations that you've justified by saying, well, I'm just trying to reach my friends. or I'm just trying to, but not out of a personal overflow of what God's done in your life. And so you go empty, which is no way to go. And so prayer, prayer, connecting with God relationally. Again, Psalm 139 says, search me and know me, God. Is there anything that is offensive in me? That is a bold prayer because there's plenty there if you're like me. <laughs> He'll point it out to you. But again, not to condemn you or make you feel bad, but to free you from the things that you're struggling with. And so it's amazing how prayer changes things. And if you're having a hard time in a relationship, just begin to pray. Pray with that person. If you can pray, if there's a hard relationship that you have right now, ask that person to pray. If you can't pray with that person, pray for that person daily. And then watch what happens to your own heart as you begin to pray for them. I'll never forget, I had a, uh, I had a friend, I had a direct uh, report, like a boss of mine one time, and um, we were in a group setting, and I learned something about the nature of my job, but at the same time, like everybody else learned it. I don't know if you've ever had this moment or not. Uh, you you kind of feel put on blast a little bit like, oh, cool. No one told me that. Now everyone, you know. And so I was, real, I was in my feelings, I was angry. I was ready to have a conversation. Oh, so ready to have a conversation. So I, was, I got on the calendar. Hey, would love to meet up and discuss this, you know, tomorrow, today if possible, whatever. And so I'm ready. I got my list. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really pumped for this meeting. We get there and I sit down with him and he's like, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm like, no. don't do that. You know, I'm like, I'm ready with all my things. And so he's like, Hey, let me pray for us. And so he begins to pray. And God just, just reminds me how big of a moron I am as he's praying. And, and, uh, he finishes the prayer and he's like, Hey, you know, what can we talk about? And I'm like, man, you just ruined my whole agenda. You know, like I, I have to get back with you, you know, <laughs> I have to rethink what I was going to communicate right now, but prayer changes things. It does. And so uh, pray with your family, pray with your kids, pray with your spouse, pray with coworkers. And again, pray real time. If somebody expresses something to you that they're going through this just hard, season, whatever, don't be like, hey, we'll be praying for you. And then like never pray for them. Like pray for them real time. You're going to forget about that junk anyway. Write it down if you can write it down. But also just pray in the moment. There's, there's power. When God sends somebody to you, he trusts you with that moment. So he sent them to you for them to express, hey, I'm hurting. Again, deep feelings. I'm having a hard time. Here's my needs. Pray. Pray. And then watch God align your heart. So I feel like God needs to heal some people in this room. I know he does. Who have been hurt by, by somebody else's words. You've had things that have been spoken over your life and you're still living in that place. That has now become your identity because somebody said something about you. And you got to get it off. You got to see yourself the way that God sees you. Not whatever your third grade teacher said, not whatever that coach said that one time, not whatever your parents spoke over. What does God say about you? You got to begin to step into that identity. That's how important communication is. God has some things to say about you. And so it, it could be any mentor, any area, any, any person of authority. It could, be, it could be your kids. It could be anybody in your life. And you begin to take inventory, and, and we need some healing in this area. And so I would love to close this in prayer. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Man, how am I doing when it comes to my communication? Do the people around me who are closest to me, do they feel affirmed? Do they feel encouraged?
man, does it feel like truth and love? Do I express affection? Is there room to grow in this area? The answer is yes. And, and then um, as we're praying and thinking through it, just begin to think about this idea of there's power of life and death in the tongue. Begin to think about, man, I can actually create a different environment. Every room I step into, every place I go, man, I can edify people with my speech. I can lift people's heads and help them to, ex- help them to see and experience more of Jesus. What a powerful thing that we have, this ability to communicate. And God does it in us and through us. Let me pray for us.